Well, good morning. Let me invite you to remain standing as we prepare to hear God's Word. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I was able to worship with my wife's family last Sunday, so sitting in the pews was a blessing to me. But uh, it is also great to be back with you here today on this Epiphany Sunday. As we are reminded, Epiphany means that uh, a revealing, and Christ has been revealed to the nations. His salvation has gone forth. And so all of us here today experience the blessing that God has made a promise that all of the nations would be blessed. That's why we are each invited to this place. Today, we're going to read uh, a smattering of the plagues, just a couple of them. We're not going to read all of Exodus 7 through 12, um, which is good. That would have been the end of the sermon. It would have just been reading the Bible. Um, So we're going to skip around a little bit. And uh, as I read about these plagues, I just want you to pray, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. So we're going to start actually in 9.13. So even skipping down some in our passage that's printed. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send... Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So Moses said, thus says the Lord. About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, "'This month shall be for you the beginning of months.'" Shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now skipping down to 1230. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. But bless me also, 
So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked, and they plundered the Egyptians. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be glorified today. Be glorified in this speaking, be glorified in our hearing, and glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, who is that spotless Lamb, the Lamb that was slain, slain, the Lamb who is worthy, worthy to take the scroll. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear and to worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over the Christmas break, my family and I all piled into the car. I don't remember exactly where we were going, but I do remember picking up my cell phone and uh, about to try to figure out the directions how to get to this place, and Siri gave me a notification. Apple Maps was telling me where I needed to go. Now, I was a little embarrassed, and not because I still use Apple Maps. I was embarrassed because the notification, the place where she wanted me to go, the place she thought I wanted to go was the San Pedro Par 3 in driving range. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. I showed it to my wife. She thought it was maybe a little less funny, you know? It's funny, isn't it, that AI knows us pretty well these days, doesn't it? She's always listening, right? You have a conversation with your friends, and then the next day you'll find an ad on your phone about that thing that you were talking about. The solo stove came up a lot for me this break. There are good things about that. We all can recognize that. But there are also times when it's not so fun, right, that Siri knows who I am and what my heart desires and what I fear. When Haley was pregnant a couple years ago now, what we would, would always show up in our news feeds was stories about children dying. It was terrible, right? Sudden infant death syndrome was one of the main article, you know, themes that would show up. Not just what we want, but what we fear, what we long for, what we deeply desire that we might shouldn't, all shows up and is a burden for us. And if we can't hide what we really want or what we're afraid of from Siri, how much more can we not hide what burdens us from our God? How much more can't we hide what burdens us? from our God. We have fears that are unquieted. We have desires that are unwanted. We have loose ends with our families. Maybe some of you are still licking the wounds after your Christmas time uh, sojourns with your families. Our work is a burden to many of us, and this new year doesn't offer us anything different. We still have to go back and submit to that boss that we don't like or worse that doesn't like us. We have disappointments and sadness, expectations we place on ourselves. You name it, the people of God, people in general, are burdened. We're burdened. And even if you're coming in here today and you're feeling good and life is okay, don't worry, it's an election year. (laughs) It'll get worse before it gets better. As we've been experiencing in the Exodus story these past couple of months, This narrative should ring true. We have burdens and we have taskmasters. But there's some good news. God sees us. 
God sees us in our affliction. He sees us in our difficulties. And He is now going to act to save us. He's going to act to save us. It's this beautiful thing. All along, He's been at work. It's not like He was absent. He was preparing Moses, saving him from that basket, that Nile River. He was calling him, preparing him for ministry to have this redemption narrative that God was going to do something. And now, starting in chapter 7, God is going to go toe to toe with the taskmasters that are over the people of God. Those plagues, the word for plague in the Hebrew could also mean strike. And that's kind of what this passage, these passages are like. God is striking Pharaoh over 10 plagues. It's like a boxer going 10 rounds. Only if you and I were Pharaoh, hopefully, we would bow out after the first round. But it's interesting that Pharaoh and his stubbornness and his hard-heartedness, he hangs on in there for 10 of them. This is the seminal redemptive event of the Old Testament. It's where all redemption kind of points back to in God's Old Covenant. And for generations and the world over, people will look back at these events and see one important thing, God sets His people free. And that's what we want to look to today. As we talk about this, we're going to see how God is setting us free from our burdens. God is setting us free from our burdens. God throws His weight around for you. It's a good thing. And here's how we're going to talk about it, just in two ways. First, He's lifting up the burdens that we are under as we learn to worship Him. He lifts us up from under burdens as we learn to worship Him. Second, He lifts the burdens off of our shoulders as we learn to turn away from our sin, to repent. Then we're going to conclude this as we look to the one who is lifted up for us, the sacrificial lamb of God. So first, let's go now and look at how God lifts our burdens as we worship Him. Look at chapter 7, verse 16, kind of towards the beginning of that passage in your bulletin. God telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. This is the central refrain of the Exodus. You see it again in 9.13 and all over the place. Every time Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh, it's let my people go so that, let my people go so that they might serve me this is what I want for them. I want them to come out and worship me. If we were to summarize Exodus 7 through 12, and maybe even all of Exodus, it's that God is redeeming a people to worship Him. God is redeeming a people to worship Him. Worship. This is what God calls us to, each and every one of us, to organize the priorities of our life around the worship of the living God. And He's not opposed to bringing us to our knees so that He's the only person that we can go to in our worship. It's kind of what's happening here to the people of God. The people of God have nowhere to go. They have no escape. They're in slavery. There is no way out but on their knees in hopes that God would deliver them. I'm sure many of you watched It's a Wonderful Life again over the break. 
I actually didn't, which I do that normally every year. But I'm remembering George Bailey's prayer kind of at the beginning of the end before the angel Clarence shows up. Remember what he says, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way. Sometimes we have to be brought to our knees before we really learn how to worship. I love what Simeon says about Jesus. This is printed in the front of your bulletin. He says that this child Jesus is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And here's the reality. Everyone and everything will one day fall on its knees or their knees before Jesus. Everyone and everything will one day fall on our knees before Jesus. Worship is gladly and willingly doing so. And we should do that. Because if we don't, God is actually giving us this plague to show us that if we don't fall on our knees in worship, we will fall on our knees in ruin. In ruin. You see, with each subsequent plague, God is striking down an Egyptian god. We've said this a couple of times, but it's good to say again, first there was Hopi, the god of the Nile, and God brought him to his knees when he turned his Nile water, the lifeblood of Egypt, into actual blood that was unusable. Then there was Heket, who represented fertility and was shown with a frog's head, and the plague of the frogs came over Egypt, and the land stunk with them. Then, continuing on, there was Hathor with the head of a cow who couldn't save the livestock. Isis, who represented medicine, who couldn't save the people who were struggling under boils. Then there was Newt, the goddess of the sky, who couldn't stop the hail. And Ra, the god of the sun, who couldn't stop it from being dark. In every plague, God is reminding that everything will one day bow the knee. Everything will one day bow the knee. Let's just think about this in regards to our worship. We're just like the Hebrews, right? We too fear other gods who are not God. I am no prophet. I I do not know that there is going to be an economic downturn coming, but there will be one one day. And how often do we serve the God of money for protection? And I know how much we want to control and hang on to our lives. How often do we serve the God of power to protect us from the hard things in this world. We're afraid. But those false gods will one day truly fall down in ruin. But notice the grace of God here. He doesn't direct the attack against the people of God, does He? He's not like, hey, you're not worshiping me, so He's going to attack the people. No, He protects the people. Who does He attack? The false gods right? Because the object here is not to destroy you. The object here is to set you free from them. That's good news. That's really good news. And so, it begs the question, how can I stand confidently, confidently before God, knowing that those false gods out there, they cannot harm me anymore? I saw a great video a couple of days ago, and it was of of this man, and he was walking amidst a pack of gorillas, walking amidst a pack of gorillas, and he was just eating a banana. 
okay? He's one of these guys who goes out into the wild, right? And is like, you know, hangs out with wolves or whatever. This was gorillas. And the alpha male starts beating his chest and snarling at him. You know, those fangs are pretty long. And he like charges this guy. You know what this guy does? Just eats a banana. It was the most harrowing and incredible thing I've seen, right? Like the gorilla stops. He sees how confident this man is and he turns and he runs away. How can we stand confident when the false gods of this world charge us? By worship, by always falling down on our knees in worship, by honoring the true God, the one who is our safety and our protection. Worship when we feel like it and we don't feel like it. Worship that's planned and that's unplanned. Worship that happens in the car when that great song starts playing. Worship. It's by heeding that call that we can stand confident and secure that that, those false gods have got nothing on us. God lifts the burdens of those who learn to worship. The second way that God promises to lift our burdens is as we truly turn from our sin. Truly turn from our sin. That that theological word, many of you have heard it, is called repentance. It's turning away from sin. It's turning towards the Lord our God. And we actually learn about how important this is by looking at a bad example. Who's the bad example in this passage of repentance? This guy who's not named Pharaoh, Pharaoh the king. He is a living and breathing object lesson in the deepening of sin and judgment for those who refuse to turn away from God. Look at chapter 7, 14, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, 9, 34, but when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. Eleven ten. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's devolution in these chapter, chapters is scary. It's harrowing for us. Galatians 6, 8 says this, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Pharaoh has been sowing the seeds of his own destruction, and he can't say he didn't know any better. He can't say he didn't know any better. Look, if Pharaoh was just a lesson in God's power, God could have wiped him out in one blow. He instead used ten plagues. God even says this in 9.15, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Pharaoh was given ten opportunities to repent, to show how his sin and stubbornness can grab a hold of a person and choke them. Think about it. When Pharaoh first meets Moses, Pharaoh has never heard of Yahweh. He's not lying. Pharaoh wouldn't have paid attention to a Hebrew god of the wilderness. But over time, Pharaoh comes to know him quite well, doesn't he? He learned a lot about God through these ten plagues. He knew that God was the one who worked wonders, that there was no denying that that God had turned the Nile to blood. He knew that God alone was the one that could remove the wonders. Every time he called his sorcerers and magicians in, all they could do was add to the plagues. They couldn't take them away. He knew Moses and Aaron were appointed by God to be God's mouthpiece. He would call them in, please pray for me. Please turn back these plagues. 
Chapter 8, verse 8, Pharaoh calls Moses, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and I will let the people go. Most stunningly of all, I think, is in 927, he calls himself a sinner. This is what Pharaoh says, I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Here's a man who knows that Yahweh works wonders. He knows that his gods are powerless to save. He knows that God responds to prayer. He knows that Moses is God's prophet. He knows that he himself is a sinner. He knows a bunch of things about God, but he doesn't know God. Let's apply this in a couple ways. First, no one is without excuse for their sin. No one is without excuse. Pharaoh isn't a believer, but he's still being held to the same standards of godliness that we are being held to. The moral commands of God are written on our hearts, written on Pharaoh's heart, and God has not left himself without a witness. We know. We know we are meant to honor and glorify God, but in our sin, we refuse to. Every single person experiences the foreshocks of the earthquake of the judgment of God. Every single person experiences the foreshocks of the earthquake of the judgment of God that is coming. Haley and I have been watching The Crown recently, and I was struck by Princess Margaret, that's Elizabeth's sister, who was warned time and time again to stop smoking and stop drinking and stop consuming so much cholesterol, and she just didn't care. She didn't heed it and ended up dying early of a succession of strokes. The disease of sin works the exact same way. God graciously gives people warnings. When things are bad, many might plead with God. They might go to a pastor. They might ask for prayer. They might swear they'll never do it again. They might swear off it. They might try to change. But when there's breathing room, when the disaster is over, when the worst has passed, they go right back to their old ways. And it begs the question, doesn't it? How much can I play with sin until there's no way back. It's a scary thought. When will the heart become so hard that it can't be broken anymore? This isn't isn't just a problem outside the church, right? It's not a problem just outside the church. There are many respectable people who look a lot like Pharaoh. I want freedom from the condemnation of sin. I don't want freedom from sin itself. I want good I want to be seen as a good person, a good name and a good reputation, much more than I want a good heart. Friends, that is not what Christ has called us to. A number of years ago, I was very blessed to get to go to a counselor. I've been to a counselor a number of times in my life, and it's a good thing. We love that. At Redeemer, we want to continue to say, it is good to go and get counseling, right? We care about mental, emotional health. It's something that the church needs to continue to care about. But here's my caveat. Counseling is no good unless it first uses the tool of repentance. We have to start first in saying, God, please forgive me for what I have done. You can have lots of tools in your emotional health toolbox. We should have more of them. That's great. But if you don't use the tool of repentance, you've done it wrong. Seriously. Lord, forgive me. Every day, every night, from those little thoughts in our hearts to those sleazy things that we have done, please forgive me. Repentance brings health. Repentance lifts the burdens 
from our shoulders. Because God forgives. Finally, we're going to conclude with this. God lifts up these, all of these burdens as we recognize that the center of our worship is the spotless Lamb. And the person to whom we turn in repentance is the bleeding sacrifice, Jesus, who is the Christ. Did you notice things go a little differently in the last plague, right? Before, all nine plagues were directed at Egypt. But in the tenth plague, Israel has to do something. 12.3, take a lamb without blemish, a male, a year old, kill that lamb at twilight. Then the Israelites are called to put the blood over the doors of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over them, that they would be redeemed and freed, right? Verse 12, God will pass through Egypt. Strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and on all the gods, God Himself will execute judgment. Maybe we've heard the story so many times that we forget to kind of see the big picture here. The focal point of this story has always been the Lamb who was slain. That's the focal point of this story. All of the chapters leading up to this are pointing directly at the sacrifice of this lamb. If you think about it, in in Genesis chapter 1, God unfurls all of His wonders when He creates the earth, right? So, light. Let there be light, He says. And then He has seas and oceans and rivers and teeming with life, right? There's life and there's land and there's livestock and there's humanity. And God is like furling out this beautiful tapestry of what He's created. But then in Exodus... It's like he is furling it back up again. It's like he is spinning it back and uncreating the world again. Philip Ryken says this, one of the striking things about the ten plagues is the way they disrupted the natural order. It was almost as as if God was uncreating the world that he had made. Roll out your wonders, roll them back up, and what is left at the center? The Passover lamb. That's what's left. At the center of our universe, at the heart of our lives, should be this Passover lamb, and we celebrate him two big ways. The lamb is the victor, and the lamb, Jesus Christ, is the Savior. First, that lamb is the victor. Look at what Jesus says about himself. In in your bulletin, you can see this in the John passage, John chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. As I was studying this week, one of the things that struck me for the first time actually was that these male lambs that were a year old would have had horns. Like in my mind, I didn't imagine the lamb having horns, but at around 10 months back in the day, a lamb would have developed a set of horns. Nowadays, we don't always see that with male lambs anymore because of breeding and genetics and things that I don't understand. But originally, That's what they would have had, a head of horns. They were not considered full-grown into two years, so still lambs with ram's horns. That's a lot of talk about ram's horns, but here's the point. At this time, the main deity in Egypt would have been called Amun-Ra, these two deities that had come together, worshipped between the 16th and the 11th centuries BCE, okay? B.C. B.C. And Amun-Ra, guess how he was depicted? with the head of a ram, with ram's horns. And so this sacrifice in the midst of Egypt, right in the middle of Egypt, of this 
baby lamb with ram's horns would have been the final thumb to Pharaoh. Your gods have no power here. Your gods have no power here. The head of your pantheon is destroyed. What does this tell us about Jesus? Jesus has destroyed every taskmaster once and for all, personified by sin, death, and the devil. Everything that stands against the people of God has been absolutely obliterated. Absolutely obliterated. Jesus Christ is the victor. Second, the Lamb is the Savior. Again, Jesus, John 12, and I, when I am lifted from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Amazingly, these plagues, while they really are judgments, are also invitations to salvation. You see woven in this implicit and explicit invitation to mercy all over the place. It's God Himself who tells Pharaoh to go and get your, your, your livestock and your servants and bring them indoors because the hail is coming. And in fact, 9.20, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into their houses. Then again in 12.38, at the very bottom of your bulletin, a mixed multitude also went up with them in the Exodus and very much livestock. What is it telling us? That even in all of these plagues, that there are Egyptians who have come underneath the protection of the Lamb of God. That His blood is not just for a local people, His blood is for all nations, all nations. We sit here today not because, not because we're only the people of Israel, but because God's salvation in the person of Jesus has drawn all peoples to Himself, Egyptians and Israelites and Anglo-Saxons and Africans, and everyone has come is invited in to the mercy of our true Savior. On the cross, God's ultimate plague, His ultimate judgments fell on Jesus so that we could know mercy. That's good news for the whole world. Wherever you are this morning, under whatever burdens you struggle, here again, God has come to set you free, to lift those off you. He does that as we worship the King, the risen Savior, the bleeding Lamb, as we turn in repentance towards Him. And that invitation is for everyone, everyone here, all your friends. Come, come, the Lamb is worthy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You for setting us free. We thank You that that freedom is not unto ourselves. Lord, we would waste it. We thank You that freedom is unto true worship, is unto delight in the Lamb, is unto fellowship with our friends, is unto Your glory. Pray, Lord Jesus, would You be glorified, the One who is central to everything that is written about in the Scripture, the bleeding Lamb. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.